Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. After a little break, we're back in Daniel today. We're continuing on with Daniel where we left off. We're on Daniel chapter 5, which is the story of Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. A well-known children's story from Sunday school, but actually there is a much deeper meaning to it, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And just to remind you once again that there is a Patreon account available if you'd like to support Understand the Bible. The link will be down below. And don't forget the YouTube channel where there is lots more content available. I just did a video last week about the Song of Songs and what that teaches us about love. And also we're nearly finished with the Apostles' Creed series. 12 parts that will be uh, at the end of next week. And that's all available on the Understand the Bible YouTube channel and on the website. And the links to those things will be down below. Thanks so much everyone for joining me. I hope that you enjoy and I'll see you again soon. So my, uh, my sister-in-law, she um, used to have this, uh, this habit when she was younger. And before I met my wife, obviously, but uh, you know, when they were teenagers, she used to have this habit of... Um, uh, when they were in the kitchen she was making a cup of tea she'd stir the the tea with the hot spoon and then put it put it on someone's you know um forearm and just say have you met my friend bernie and, and you know she'd do that and just for a moment and uh she once did that um three times to her mum you know my, my mother-in-law and um and then her, her mum just turned and gave her a look and she just said i've gone too far and uh you know, there's that, 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 that moment when you realise that you've gone too far, that you've just, you've crossed a line. Well, um, Belshazzar, I think, realises that he, he has, uh, he's had one of those moments today, but much more, much more seriously. That, you know, if we can only push things so far with human beings, then how much more so with God? And that's what we're going to be, to be thinking about in this passage. Now, it starts out... It's, there's no um, explanation of what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. It's just, it goes straight from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar. And I believe this is a, a bit of a jump in time. This is, I don't know, maybe around about 25 years, something like that. It's, it's difficult to tell exactly, but it's, it's quite a substantial jump forward in time, a number of years. And maybe what's happened is that Daniel has... Um, been a bit forgotten you know he was under Nebuchadnezzar he was one of the chief um, chiefs of staff chief people but uh, under Belshazzar it's all been a bit forgotten um, and so that's that sets up what's happening and uh, just again to put this into context the city as we'll find out as we find out at the end is under siege but what we're witnessing here is one of the most significant moments that happens in Daniel it's the fall of the Babylonian Empire it's the moment that the Babylonian Empire fell. And as this, these events were happening, as Belshazzar was having his banquet, the city was surrounded by a Persian army. But of course, um, Belshazzar and, and the Babylonians, they thought they were secure. You know, they had these 25 mile long walls. They had, you know, 40 foot high walls, whatever it was. And they thought that they were impregnable. They had lots of food in the city. So they thought that there was nothing that the Persians could do to, get, to get, get at them, and they thought they were secure, which is probably why Belshazzar thought that it was, wise, um, it was a good idea to hold a banquet while the city was under siege. It was just a measure of how confident that he felt that, that nothing bad was going to happen. 
And, um, and perhaps that's why he brings out the um, items of um, silver and gold from the temple, which had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He, he drinks from them and the, the nobles drink from them. And, um, and as it says in verse four, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. And although it's, it's not, um, it doesn't say explicitly in this verse, I think from what Daniel says later, we can, we can say they were basically saying, look, isn't God, the God of you know, the Israelites, aren't the gods of silver, wood and stone better than him? Because look, you know, we're impregnable against, against the Persian army, whereas we went and took them. You know, so it's actually mocking God, really. That's what's going on. Um, and, uh, and then this, this hand appears. The hand appears and just writes on the plaster of the wall. And this is obviously one of those moments of, uh, of divine intervention. I remember when I, my mum was telling me this story, when I was quite young, I think I was probably five or six years old, something like that, as a bedtime story. And I think she told it very dramatically because um, uh, shortly after she put me to bed, I came back down and I said, oh, mummy, I think I can hear a hand writing on the wall. And uh, you know, it terrified me. But it is, it's a scary thing, isn't it? You know, you think, you imagine if you saw a sort of disembodied hand just writing on the wall, that'd be a very scary thing. And that's, and that's what happens. That's what um, Nebuchadnezzar he says his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking, um, which I think is a, a very accurate, really. I think that's probably what would happen to me as well if that happened. And again, he, he turns to the astrologers. He turns to the magicians, the people who um, he tried, or, or his um, ancestor Nebuchadnezzar had tried and failed in the previous chapters, chapters two, chapter four, um, they can't make any sense. They can't make any sense of what was written. And, um, but just then, the, the queen or the queen mother, hears the commotion, she comes in, and she's not actually named in this. She's just the, the queen or, or the queen mother. And, uh, and she just happens to know, oh, why don't you bring Daniel? You know, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And in, in the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom. Um, so just a coincidence, you know, that the woman comes in, the queen comes in. But uh, she says, look at Daniel. And so Daniel, uh, Daniel comes in. And it, it just made me think, you know, again, how many times in the Bible does some unnamed minor character have a very important role to play in something like this you might think of for example just just one example think about uh, Naaman uh, his wife's servant was one of the exiles and uh, she just happened to know about um, Elijah and said to Naaman well why don't you go and, and take you know with your leprosy and go to him and uh, she just happened to be there and God uses people even small, it seems, small and insignificant people in big ways through the Bible, which I think is an encouragement to us, I hope, if you feel small and insignificant, the things that God can accomplish, even through someone who doesn't even have a name, 
We're not told the name uh, from the Bible. Um, So Daniel's brought in and the king says to him, uh, verse 13, now, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Um, I don't know whether by drawing attention to the fact that he's an exile, it's a bit of a put down and saying, oh, you know, you're an exile, by the way, just to remind you of that. Um, I don't know if we're meant to see that. But anyway, he says, because if he's, he's so scared, anyway, he's willing to try anything. He says, I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. And if you can uh, read the writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and so on, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I like the fact that it is about the third highest ruler. Um, I think that's just a little bit of historical um, evidence because at the time, um, Belshazzar was the second highest. The king was actually um, Nabonidus, who I think was his father. And he, but he'd been sent away somewhere at the time, so Belshazzar was in charge. And so, of course, Belshazzar couldn't make him second highest. He had to make him third highest. So I think it's just another little bit of evidence that the Bible is historically accurate, uh, as, been, as has been confirmed numerous times by archaeology and, and so on. And, of course, the irony of this situation is, you know, here, all hope is now placed on, on the exile, on Daniel, this person who he's, he's put down. He's saying all hope is now put onto him. So Daniel, he, he says, well, you can keep your gifts for someone else, um, but I will read the, the writing. Uh, and he gives a little recap of what's happened in chapter four. So um, we looked at that two weeks ago. Um, and so I won't go through, obviously, all, all of that now, but he just recaps the events of it. He says, you know, that your father, the, um, Nebuchadnezzar, he, um, he became arrogant, became proud, set himself up against the king of heaven, against God. And so God humbled him. He was driven away. He was driven mad for a time and so on. Um, and he says there, verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. So he says to Belshazzar, you knew this. This was not just a lesson for Nebuchadnezzar, but this was a lesson for you as well. You knew this, you knew this, and yet you still set yourself up against God. And that's what he says in verse 23. You still uh, set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And he explains about the, the goblets, taken from the temple Um, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription so he says you because you didn't honor God because you didn't listen to the warning then God has has decreed this judgment against you and he goes through the inscription uh, meany, meany, uh, tekel, parsin, and, and it's just sort of a little play on words. Perhaps it was written in Hebrew so that it was the king couldn't read it. I, I mean, I, I don't know what, what the reason. Um, but it's just saying judgment has come. You now you have been, uh, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Um, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Saying, it's, that's enough. You know, you've gone too far. That is enough. You haven't listened 
and the time of judgment has now come. And there is an immediate fulfilment. Um, as it says, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. And the way it happened, actually, was, um, and again, this is just of no relevance to the passage, but it's just historical interest. It, the, um, the Persians, they diverted a canal. They came in under the, the walls because the, the river was only a waist height, so they could send people through, down the river. Uh, and the, the Babylonians hadn't realised this. They thought that they were impregnable, but actually the Persians found a way to get into the city and to, and to destroy them. And that's what happened. Um, so what do, we, what do we make of all of this? What do we make of all of this? What relevance does this have to us today? Well, I think the first thing to say is that God does not have endless patience. God does not have endless patience. That our time does run out. This is what it says in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. When I find it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's what it says in, in 2 Peter. And this is, this is the thing that some people say, well, God's judgment's never going to come. But what Peter says and what the whole of the, the New Testament says, what the whole of the Bible says is there will come a day when God's, patient runs, God's patience runs out. There will come a day when God's judgment comes and we can't put it off. That actually our responsibility is to listen to the warnings that God gives us in the here and now. Because there will come a day when it will be too late to listen. And it's, it's you know, when we look around the world and we see all of the when we see all of the, the evil that's done around the world, and you know, it's, it's easy to look at other people, isn't it, and think, oh, well, you know, they will not last forever. Those empires will not last. You know, the Babylonian Empire did not last. And it's the same with every earthly empire. It never lasts. But actually, um, it's for us as well, isn't it? It's for them, but it's also, it's for, also for us. It's for everyone that we need to listen to the warnings while we still can. Now, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to listen and we need to carry on. We need to listen to the warnings and we need to carry on with Jesus uh, and persist with him. Now, because that was the problem with, with Belshazzar, that he, he knew the warning. He knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar and maybe he thought that was enough. Maybe he thought, well, that will be enough just to listen. Uh, but he, he didn't actually act on it, did he? He just heard, but he, he didn't listen. He really uh, he needed to put into practice what he'd heard. And it's the same with us. We need to put into practice, listen to what we hear, 
listen to what the Bible says and to carry on with it, not to give up, but to carry on. And the, the, the final thing, which is, this is something which um, Dale Ralph Davis said in his little commentary on this, and, and I, I really appreciated this, is just imagining, imagine that there was a hand which wrote on the wall, but instead of writing things that we couldn't understand, what it was writing was your sins or my sins on that wall. What would you feel like if all of your sins, all of your secret sins were up there written in black and white for everyone to see? How would you feel if all of your sins are written up there on the wall? And yet there is hope. And that's the thing, whereas in Daniel, the hope was, uh, was on, on Daniel, on the exile, that actually our hope is on Jesus. That upon every one of those sins that's written up there, that actually Jesus just writes cancelled because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful good news, isn't it? That you know, for those who are in Christ, although our sins accuse us, that actually Jesus' blood stands between, between us and God's judgment. That we're clothed with, with Christ's righteousness. And I think that's a good place to finish it today, just to think that we're covered by the blood of Christ and that our sins do not accuse us anymore because of Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray as we, uh, as we close. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, our sins do not accuse us anymore. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from sin. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in the light of that truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to pay attention to the, the warnings that you give us uh, in, the, in your scriptures. Help us to continue with you and help us to remember um, that, uh, to turn to you uh, every day. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hold out this message uh, to others as well and to be instruments of your change in the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.